you, we cannot but give our deepest appreciation for you. Because not only are you recognizing yourself as a part of the body of Christ, but you're, you're committing yourself to us and to this fellowship in a way that really helps us move forward. And I know many of you don't know that the membership here is necessary for being able to govern and being able to do what we do as a church. And so it's not just like the pastor just calls the shots and then it's all over with from there. I need good counsel. I, I love the counsel we've got on our board. Um, and I, I can say that ministry, and as it continues to flow well, is because we've got good leadership. And part of that leadership is the membership. So we want to thank you for your commitment, your dedication. I wish Julie were here so that I could just personally share that with her in front of you all. You guys are amazing. Um, Troy and Sherry, we appreciate you, and we just look forward to what God's going to do. God's going to do some amazing things through the committed members of Christ as we're committed to each other and committed to the body of Christ abroad. And so we're so thankful for you. And believe me, I cannot express my, my gratitude enough for those of you who are saying, I'm going to take that next step and I want to be able to join this governing body uh, to be able to do well and, and to work well together. And believe me, there's so much that we need that's not just, um, let's, let's just, what's our desire here? But we need others to be a part of that and facilitate it. So thank you so much. Um, praise God. Um, I want to share with you this message of joy unspeakable. In the King James, it says joy unspeakable. In, the, uh, in another versions, other versions it might actually say inexpressible. And I love that thought behind it. I like how the, in the Word of God we see this expression that God gives. And I just want to remind you guys this morning, you can say your amen anytime. Again, just lift your hand if there's something you're taking notes. If you haven't been taking notes, you probably ought to take notes. Because I think there's things that God's speaking to you in these, in these times and Sundays. And I want you just to take out of this Sunday... Not everything that I say today, because I know that you're not going to. I know that I've heard sermon after sermon, and I've missed probably the majority of what was said. But there was something specifically, and usually a sermon, um, that catches me, and it's, it's meant specifically for me. And so I can't necessarily speak a word that fits every single person, but God has something for you today. And so I would get out a notepad, a pen, a paper. If you don't normally bring one, I would, I would say do so. Because you want to be able to recall what God has said to you in the past. There's a lot of times with my kids, I tell them with their math, I say, write it down on paper. I know you could probably do it in your head, but you'll lose track of what you put in your head. You won't lose track of what you put on paper unless you lose track of the paper. But at least, at least you have a better chance of keeping track of it. And so when God says something, folks, we need to make sure that we don't forget it. We call into remembrance the things God has done. And if we want God to continue to speak to us, we want to remember what He said already. So it's so important. I don't know what God's going to say to you out of this message. I love this thought of joy. I need it a lot. There's a lot of times in my life I feel like um, the attitude is without the joy. Or I'd love to see more. Have you met that, joy, that joyful person that's practically contagious? Wherever they go, whatever they do, it seems like every day of their life they're full of joy. And there's something about that that ministers to you. You just can't get over it. You're like, I love the contagious people. The ones that have something that you know only God can give, and they're contagious with it. And you know, it's amazing too, because it seems like no matter what's going on in their life, they still have this joyfulness about them. 
But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to visit a couple thoughts that I think are, are areas of confusion, things that I think we say but don't really pay attention to here. So let's read here in Galatians chapter 5. We'll go there real quick. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Let me get there. I'm not hearing any pages flop open. You guys must have already gotten there. <laughs> or you got, the, you got that handy-dandy phone Bible there. Amen. As long as you got it, that's all that matters. Um, Galatians 5, 23-23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Now the reason I decided to go with joy rather than love was because we've heard a lot about love. I mean, we've been inundated with love, and it's not like it's a subject that ever wears thin, but I think we need to hear something on joy. I just felt like the Lord impressed that on my heart. So there's two thoughts. If, if I were to ask you this morning, what do, how do we have joy? What is it that's important about joy? I think one of those things, some people might say their definition for joy would be, it's a feeling or a pleasure, a feeling of pleasure or happiness, a gladness, maybe a rejoicing, maybe it's a leaping for joy. But the idea is that there's, there's a feeling that goes along with it. And I think I would say, in part, you're right. But I don't think that that's the whole of it, but I would say that that's right. The other side to it is, I, I think we would say this, um, we'd hear somebody say, joy is a choice. How many of you have heard that over the years? Joy is a choice. I need to see those hands, because I mean to make sure that I have... Okay, I was like, I was like man, maybe I was, I was the only one that thought I heard that. So we have to choose joy in the moment. You'll hear somebody say... If you're going through a hardship or a difficulty, you have to choose joy in the moment. And what we're basically saying is securing that sometimes it's just an act of your will. You can't necessarily say my emotion is going to be what my emotion, what I want it to be, but I can still choose to look at this in the best light. I can still put the best light to it no matter what. And But I would say those both still fall short of this thought of what is it that the Bible seems to be pointing out to me as joy that sometimes we get missed in this choice because I feel like if we tell somebody, just make the choice to be joyful, we're missing another piece to this puzzle, and that is, where are you at with the Lord? Where is your relationship with God? Where is it really at as far as your relationship with God? So if the fruit of the Spirit, when we're talking about joy, is solely based on choice, then it would be a fruit of the Spirit even in sin. Even when people were acting out in wickedness, as long as they made the choice to be joyful, they were acting in the, the fruit of the Spirit. But we all know that's not true. That's not even possible according to the Bible. So notice the context of the Bible. And if you'll still look in Galatians chapter 5, context is so important. If I'm going to teach anything I want to teach you that don't just read your Bibles. And believe me, I'm going to say, read your Bibles. But I am going to say, read it within its context. People are divorcing the Bible from its context and they're missing the greater truths of what God is trying to say. So we have to read this book in context. 
Hermeneutics. How many of you are aware of that word? How many of you know what that word means? Hermeneutics. Okay, I got a couple of you. Anybody else? Hermeneutics is an important word. And basically it's taking what the Bible says, following its history, following its context, following all that is was original to the Scriptures, and keeping it together. And so we're not trying to isolate anything under the Bible. We're trying to bring it together and understand. Whenever you read a book, whenever you watch somebody on TV, you've got to be a student of the Bible to be able to decipher, are they following context? If not, we have to push it aside. Even if I do it, you still have to push it aside. I would be, it would be a blessing to me to say, if you heard me say something, brother or pastor, that was out of context, please come to me, share that with me. I want to make sure that I'm within context of the Bible. So, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. I say then, I'm sorry, did I miss something there? I heard a little laughter there. Chapter 5, 16 through 21. Okay, so you're laughing about something. I don't know what it is. Okay, so we walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are, listen to these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, listen to the warning, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a very clear warning of the Bible, very clear. But what I want to focus in on is this. The framework around the fruit of the Spirit is walking in the Spirit. In the Bible, it's walking in the Spirit. So what people are not aware of is, yes, there are what the Bible talks about. Moses didn't enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. There are those who are blinded by the deception of sin that take pleasure in it. They find joy in it. We're not talking about that joy. We have no part with that joy. That's a joy that we want to be as far from as possible. But the fruit of the Spirit, when we're talking about that joy, we're talking about something that has a framework around it. The framework of uh, the fruit of the Spirit of joy is walking in the Spirit. So what he's naming here is not all. He doesn't have a concise list because he says, and the like. So anything that follows in likeness to all of these other things mentioned are somebody who's walking in the flesh, not in the Spirit. And because they're walking in the flesh 
and not in the Spirit, they have no part with the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is cultivated in the uniqueness of the Christian life. So this joy that we're talking about has something to do with our walk with God. So the Bible regards the framework around joy. When I read that, that's what I see. Number two, you have to walk in the Spirit to have the fruit of the Spirit. I already said that. Number three, you cannot be divorced from Spirit-led living and be pregnant with the joy of the Spirit. The idea is that I'm, I don't have, I'm not married to walking in the Spirit, so I can't, I can't enjoy the fruits of that. I can't enjoy what it means and what it looks like to have the fruit of walking in the Spirit. So in some sense, if we're talking about joy, we're almost not even talking about it at all. There's often times when it seems like we're trying to hype up joy in the church. We're trying to lift you up above your own spiritual struggles, as it were, and say, despite where you are spiritually, have joy anyway. And that's the misguidance of saying it's a choice. If you are not walking right with God, I could not tell you, make it a choice to be joyful anyway, and call that the fruit of the Spirit when it's all said and done. And so we have to be careful when we're, when we're looking at it. It's like, where does joy spring up out of? Where does this happiness and this gladness and this fullness that makes me want to leap for joy, what does it come out of? It comes out of this uh, universal um, unity with God. My heart's in unity with Him. I'm not living in such a way that there's something in my life that at heart and in, in, in conscience, I know that God says no to, and yet I say yes to. i got a quiet audience out there. <laughs> walking in the Spirit, here in my notes I say, walking in the Spirit consists in salvation with regeneration. You'll hear me say that word regeneration often, and, often in, and I hope that you capture what I'm trying to say in it, because it's so important. The reason I say that is, is because one of the things I've struggled with for a long time is can the people out there that are not saved just raise your hands and then we'll have a hands of people that might show up at the end of a sermon. Now, just say the sinner's prayer. And, and that's what we've reduced salvation down to. But I love this word salvation. And I love right along with it that word regeneration. Regeneration, if you think about it, we talk about revitalizing. We had that this morning as one of the prayer requests. Revitalize those kidneys of little baby Heather. We're basically saying that which is dead, that which is inoperable, revitalize and bring life to it. Do you get what I'm saying? And so when we use the word regeneration, what the Bible calls us pre-Christian, pre-Christ, is that we were dead in sins and trespasses. But now we're made alive unto God. So we've been literally revitalized like a dead kidney, like a, a liver that needs to be brought back to life in order to operate the way it's supposed to. So that in the Spirit of God, there's something that God has done that oftentimes is lost when we say, just raise your hand and say the sinner's prayer. But you never got the life. I said the sinner's prayer. But there was something else that God was seeing in that human heart at the moment that He says, I cannot bring life into them in the moment because they're not coming to me wholly and fully yielding their hearts to me. 
And in the moment, they're going through the outward form. But the outward form is not the salvation. And the outward form doesn't always guarantee the regeneration. It's the heart that God says he looks at. And he says the heart unto salvation. So when he's talking about his servant David, he says David was a man after his own heart. So when he was choosing somebody, he didn't choose them because they had the right size, they had the right smell of perfume, they were wearing the right clothes. There wasn't anything to have to do with outward appearance. He says you may look good outwardly, but you came with your heart. Jesus actually had, we had one of the stories, uh, a parable of two different men, and one of them came and he bragged on himself and said, I'm, I'm a man basically that's lived right and done what I'm supposed to. And he bragged on himself. And then the other one came and he said, I'm a sinner. And he hung his head down and he beat his chest. And he said, which one? Which one does God approve of? Which one does God look at? The one that hung his head down in humility and saw himself for what he was and acknowledged that before God, that's the one who came with his heart. And that's the one God recognizes. And how often, how often we miss in our lives the importance of just coming and bearing our heart before God. And how much God takes pleasure in that. There's this song, I love this, it's by Phelps Craig and Dean, and it's an old song, said his favorite song of all. His favorite song of all is the song of the redeemed. The lost sinner, just for the first time, being able to sing that he's been saved and made right with the Lord. I love that song. I think it's beautiful. So remember that no matter what you do, you may say, I don't have the right words. I don't know what to say. The, the words that God wants to hear are the words that come straight from your heart. They don't have to be eloquent. They don't have to be powerful. They don't have to be pretty. They just have to be the eloquence of your heart speaking, just bearing out before God where you are. So salvation with regeneration is, is that I have been revitalized by God. There is no such thing as walking in the Spirit without being revitalized or regenerated. There is no such thing. People will come into church, they'll get a part of the culture, we'll get a part of the hype, but we'll miss that the life comes from this new birth inside of me. I was a sinner darkened by my own conscience and mind, my own heart bloody with wickedness all over inside of me, even though morally I appeared good before men, inwardly I was as corrupt as the darkest man on the earth. And God changed that through regenerating me. That's salvation. And so here's a few thoughts on that. The moral and ethical agency of my heart has been transformed to love God as an ultimate end of which I live. Not myself as an ultimate end, but God is my ultimate end. Number two, out of this radical transformation of my nature, I am enabled to discern the will of God. I have been changed inwardly. This corrupt principle that dwelt inside of me that had me running towards sin at every opportunity, and the only time I acted morally was to hide the inequity in my heart, that principle has been changed. And I have been remolded by God. And so now I'm ready to live a new way of life. And because of this change and transformation inside of me, I'm for the first time in my life discerning the will of God. I'm discerning the ways of God. I'm beginning to realize that God operates differently than myself. And the ways of the Lord are higher than my ways. And my ways are below His. And His thoughts are greater than my thoughts. 
And now I'm finally beginning to see this in a whole new light. I remember that what it looked like when I was saved. I remember those times of praying and clarity. Oh, I'd say this book became clearer to me than ever before in my life. I remember thinking to myself, this was the first time I remember feeling like I had a revelation of the Bible and the Word of God. It was like all of a sudden I, w- I was reading what did not I did not understand, and in an instant, in a moment, it was as clear to me as if a man had interpreted it to me and somebody had taught it to me, and I knew what it was meaning. I understood the meaning, and I wanted to walk out of my house running and yelling and leaping and just springing up for joy, that rejoicing. I couldn't believe how much it felt so real to me. And in that moment, I knew God spoke to me. And for the first time, I finally had an answer that I gave to that youth pastor a long time ago. And I said to him, I said, how do you know when God speaks to you? How do you know? That was a mystery to me. How do you know? And this is what he said. He said, you'll just know. Come on, seriously, that's not helping me. You'll just know. But in this moment, when that revitalization and the Spirit of God was illuminating something that I couldn't understand on my own, I knew exactly what that man meant. I knew exactly what he meant. And Yes, I did just know. And the joy of feeling like God was embracing me. And there was a personal union in that moment that I'd never had before in my life. And so it didn't matter the drunkenness in my home. It didn't matter the depression. It didn't matter the chaos that was all around me. Because now there was peace. And lastly, there's a new relationship. A new relationship is restored to the Holy Spirit by which I can now follow His leading. So the whole focus is that I have to have this regeneration so that I can be enabled to walk in the Spirit so that I can experience what it is to have this fruitful joy in my life. Bigger process, isn't it? It's not merely just a decisional process. I just make a decision now. Decisions are along this path because you're going to have to decide to follow God uh, despite what you might be feeling otherwise. So I I thought I would pose a few questions that one might ask about walking in the Spirit. How many of you times you like, I'd like to ask a few questions. Um, I I told you guys you could ask me questions. Uh, You could write them down. You can put your name on there. You can do whatever you want. And I would like to be able to look at them and hopefully answer a few of them. And then if you do a really good job, you'll stump me, which probably you don't have to do all that much work to. You'll stump me and I'll be looking there like, oh boy, i got to do some studying on that one. But I'm just asking you, hey, do that. And we actually have a question that I'm looking into right now, and I'll, I'll get to it later. But I just want you to realize that that's important. And so here's a few questions that somebody might ask. I don't know if any of you in the audience can relate to this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give these pastors. I don't really read my Bible. Does that mean I don't walk in the Spirit? Is that a good question? I think some people would have that question. And I could say, I don't want to directly just say yes or no to that right yet. Because there's a few questions I would want to ask you. One of those questions is, are you a Christian? And I don't mean by that, if you don't read your Bible, then you're not a Christian. What I mean is this, simply, has this regeneration, this newness of life, and what it means to be brought into Christ and His kingdom. Has it happened in your life yet? Because that's very important and vital to this. Because perhaps you might be a studious person of the Bible, but you've never, um, you've never been born again. And because of that reason, this Bible is really a hidden book. And so it almost 
do you no good to read the Bible in that way. Yes, we, all, we want people to read it, but we want them to understand it the way God intended. The other thought behind it is, is how long has it been that you haven't been reading the Bible? So if I would just say here, and I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, but I'm going to just say this to this audience. How long has it been since you've read your Bible? When was the last time you did? How frequently do you pick it up? And how, uh, how much do you read? Now, I'm going to leave you with that. But that's important because there's times in our life where the trial or the stress or the difficulty or the situation around us pulls us away from the Bible temporarily, but not uh, permanently. But there's other people, it's been a long time. And this book really hasn't had its place in your life. I would say those are the ones that I'm going to address on this question mostly is that if you're not uh, frequent to the Bible and to the Word of God, then this question really applies. So here's a few other thoughts. The Word of God is the whole counsel of God. I want this to be understood. The whole counsel of God. We often underestimate the importance of the Bible and find that whatever means we trust in besides the Bible does not lead us closer to God. Some people are very much deceived about their idea of God, but their idea of God is far from the Bible. And what you see is patterns in their life that are commonly destructive as a result of interpreting God outside of Scripture. The other is the Word of God is the inspired, is inspired and nothing else is. There's nothing else we know of that's inspired by God but the Bible. So this is, remember, as I'm answering this question, these are important thoughts. The simple truth is the Holy Spirit never speaks or leads us in any direction away from the Bible. This is God's Word. So when, as I say that, my answer is, if you do not read the Bible and you trust, and I'm going to put, and trust in something else as God-inspired, then it is certain you do not walk in the Spirit. Because you can't trust outside of this book, this, the, book that, or the only book that the Holy Spirit inspires, and the only book that God uses in order to speak to our lives, and puts that out of your life, and trust in something else as its source. Now you may be somebody, I'm not reading the Bible, but I don't trust anything else as my source of direction in life, that may be different. But it's really important to recognize walking in the Spirit is directly connected to the Word of God. It's directly connected. So there are Christians today that we can say you are a Christian, but you are not walking in the Spirit. And you may have joy, but you probably do not have the fruit of the Spirit, of the joy that comes from your lasting union with God. I think I had another question here. Let me find it here. Okay, so I'm going to read this scripture. Is all scriptures given by inspiration of God? This is 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So notice it's all scripture is given by inspiration of God. God is the one that put his hand on this book and no other one. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That a man of God may be complete... Thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. When I read that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped in every good work, that sounds to me like somebody who's walking in the Spirit. This was inspired so that you could walk in the Spirit. Here's the second question. Pastor, I have unforgiveness towards someone who has hurt me. Does that mean I do not walk in the Spirit? 
So here is my answer. The Holy Spirit, according to the Word of God, does not inspire unforgiveness. It is impossible for Him to lead you to do what He resists. Matthew 6, verses 14 through 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Again, simple it's not you cannot be walking in the spirit at the same time we're holding unforgiveness and harboring that towards somebody else so some people if we were going to invite joy in your life what i would say and i would counsel is this if you are that one with unforgiveness or you're the one who uh for months along the road is not reading your bible i would not tell you go make a choice for joy i would tell you to go read your bible i would tell you to go make right with that person you have unforgiveness for God will bring the fruit of joy into your life. Here's a few thoughts for you about joy. Joy is a fruit, not a gift. According to the Bible, it's a fruit, not a gift. Yes, I think God gives us, in a sense, a gift of joy, but as as we're speaking of it just strictly from the Bible, it's named here as a fruit in Galatians chapter 5. So here's the difference, at least the difference in my mind. A gift is something God gives, but it's not based on merit or worthiness. Now, obviously, in his wisdom, he infinitely gives something that he doesn't want to be spoiled, so he does it wisely, but it's not it's it's on his choosing. But a fruit, on the other hand, is something that is produced in us in cooperation with God. Can I say that one more time? I didn't get any hands, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. A fruit, on the other hand, is something that is produced in us in cooperation with God. If you don't cooperate with Him, the fruit never can happen. You have It's the fruit of cooperation. So joy is a fruit of yielding. Joy is a fruit of obedience. Joy is the fruit of holiness. Now this is just some. I'm not saying that's all of them. All of these are evidence of cooperation with God. I see that you're cooperating with God. So we'll see joy as a by, as a product of this. So I said joy is a product, not merely a byproduct. Yes, in a sense, when we cooperate with God, we get the a byproduct of joy. In a sense, joy comes along with it, right? But here's another thought that oftentimes is a part of our service and obedience. Joy is is a part of the process here. So look in James chapter one, verses two and three. So it's not just a result, but it's a part of. It. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temp- uh, various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces Patience. Look what he's, he's telling them to do. He's telling them not just to endure their trial, but part of the command, part of the requirement is to count it all joy. This is, what, this is, this is the part of doing what God wants you to do. So in many ways, if you look at it like this, is joy is a part of my 
following God's direction in my life. Some of us, I think, have submitted to the idea, all I have to do is endure the trial. But that's not what we're hearing in James. We're hearing a man say, my brethren count it all joy. Now I think that's interesting because in my mind, he's, he's not really trying to get you to focus on the joy. He's trying to get you to focus on what is the reason why you can't have joy in the midst of the trial. So the reason for it is, is that you're going through various trials knowing this, that while you're being trying, so that the trial is of, not, is of use, it's of importance, it's necessary for your growth and encouragement in the Lord. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. We all need it. And we need it badly. And we especially need it when we're going through a trial. Because we're quickly alarmed and ready to react in those moments. And basically he's saying if you'll patiently endure in these moments... And that's that first scripture today that I was encouraging you with. He says, even though you don't see him, yet you love him and rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. You haven't come to the end of this thing where you get to see him in all of his arrayed glory. You don't get to see the Son of God in his omnipotence and his great power seated upon the right hand of the Father. You don't get to see all that yet. And so this moment, while you live and endure in this body, in this life, you're going to face the trials that come along with that and with the hopes of something greater and far beyond what you could imagine in the future. And so while you're going through this time, count it all joy because this faith of yours will produce patience for the time until you get to see it. So people say the Lord is delayed is coming. The Lord is waiting. We feel like, oh, this thing of you know God's going to be there. And some of us have gone through severe trials and struggles, and we have no joy in the midst of it because you're looking at the trial. But remember that God has produced or allowed this trial for a purpose to produce in you the confidence in Him. To produce in you that He is good, that He is holy, that He knows what He's doing. That God has not in all of His sovereignty sidestepped in my life and said, Oh look, you know, James or whoever, I have decided that I will take care of the blades of the grass of the field and I and my sovereignty make sure that each one of them are well cared for and watered. But I'm neglecting you right now. I'm not taking time for you. I, I'm sorry, but I don't have time to deal with that. It's not the Santa Claus focus that we have in so many ways that he's going to visit one house at a time. The picture we fail to realize is not only is God not one house at a time, he's every person at every moment, at every second. He's watching over you. He knows the very hairs on your head. At this very moment, He knows what you go through. He knows what you're feeling. He knows everything about you in this moment, yet you may not realize that. And you're, the trial hides that from your eyes. And God says this trial needs to stay its course for you long enough to realize, I haven't wavered in this moment. You are my blade of grass in this moment. And I look over each one very specifically and carefully. And I look over you in that moment. And I remember one day I was walking down the road and I was just taking a, uh, a walk. And you know how the God just likes to speak to you in those moments when you're not expecting it? And I'm walking, and for whatever reason, I'm looking at somebody's lawn, and I was noticing their grass. And immediately that scripture hit me, and I needed it in the moment. Because in that time in my life, there was this doubt in my life as to whether God was looking at me in the moment. God was seeing it. And when I saw that, I was like, man, I have to stop. Because my whole picture was God creating the mountain. But what I hadn't caught was 
God doesn't just take care of the things that are so enormous and majestic that we're like, wow. But God goes so far as to take care of the thing that you and I lose sight and focus on. But He doesn't. And that's a reminder of the tender care and love of God for you especially. The tender attention God gives over your life. So whatever you're going through in the time, the reason for part of this message is the idea of we can walk in the Spirit right now in this moment. There's no degree of situation or circumstance by which we can say I'm walking in the Spirit because the circumstances enable me. The circumstances don't mean anything. We can walk with God in the moment and every circumstance just prevails to show that God is great in everything. That God is always there in our circumstances. And what we need to take pleasure in God in everything. I love Job when he says, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. I love that view of it because basically he's saying there isn't anything ultimately in my life that I don't see the facet of his glory and his goodness and his faithfulness. He's always there prevailing before me. And he can, I can bless the Lord in all things in my life. The reason I want to specify that is because walking in the Spirit takes course as we begin to see things the way the Holy Spirit sees them. And so the Holy Spirit doesn't see your trial as a trial. He sees this as a place of growing pain for you. He sees this as a moment of reflection of maturity in your Christian life. And as you begin to trust Him in the midst of that, and the joy that springs up, and you count it joy, and you rejoice and leap for joy in the midst of that trial, and you praise Him in the midst of the night, God is doing something inside of you and maturing something that we say we have faith, but when we finally hit the road and we find out the difficulties we face, there's those moments in our life where we doubt it. And you hear it like it was John the Baptist. John the Baptist immediately recognized Jesus at the baptisms. And he said, this is the Son of God, and I'm not even worthy to loose the shoe from off of his feet. But there came a point when John was in prison and his head was, on, he was just about on the platter. Remember the story that they actually cut off his head and and he's in the moment when this hasn't happened, but he's, he's struggling, and he goes, tells the disciples or whoever that was around, he says, now go and see if this is really the Son of God. You've already been introduced to Him. You know who He is. But sometimes the trials are fierce and difficult. The answer for us is not joy. The answer for us is to walk with God. I was, I was blessed by and I'm going to close with this. I was blessed by this thought um, when I was, I was going along in Genesis and um, it was given names and so-and-so lived 900 years and begot so many sons and then, um, and then it kind of ends their life. It's so weird because it's like it tells they, had, they, had, they, they lived for so long, they had sons and daughters, they lived this many more years and that's it. I mean, it's like that's enough to put on a tombstone. And it just does that repetitively. And then finally there's like this stopping point. And then it hits Enoch. And it was like God says, wait a second, I got something that's special about Enoch's life that none of these others had. And I want to I I make sure that that's left as a mark in the world of those who read my word. And it said, Enoch walked with God. It didn't give a whole lot more, but it gave us some. And it said he walked with God. And then it goes on naming the names again. 
as if these had no significance, just enough significance to name the names and a little bit about their life. But this one, this man Enoch, his was significant. His was very significant. And I noticed the same thing coming into Abraham's life. And then all of a sudden, it's like God pauses and says, I want to tell the story of Abraham. Because Abraham wasn't like the generations. And this caught me when I was in that time of prayer. Oh God, this caught me. Because God was saying, which one are you? Which one are you? Are you the one that I'm going to pause and say this one's life was significant because this one was a breath of the inspiration of who I was? In a generation of people who are losing the fact that God deserves the glory no matter what. And I felt like God was tugging my heart in something so simple and yet so profound to me. He says, well, you let me tell the story of your life because your life belonged to me. Just going back to the significance of last week's message, God saying to Abraham, Abraham, I will make of you. Abraham, I will. I will. And God says, I will make of you a great nation beyond your life, beyond the time frame in which you live. And I will do something so significant that you will not have time in your life to be able to see it. But it will still go on generations after generation after generation. And I, the creator of the universe, want to make sure I magnify this story for the sake of my glory. And we begin to see the focus of the glory of God is central to the theme of the Bible, central to what Christianity is all about. Not the focus of man, but the focus of God. And in the focus of God and for the glory of God, He decided to redeem mankind. And that's so amazing to me, that God took my life and He wanted to do something special with me. He wanted to do something special with me. And again, he wants to do the same thing for you. You know, sometimes you talk to somebody who, from their estimation, they're insignificant. But God takes the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. To confound the mighty. He wants to take you. You're like, well, I feel like I'm used up. Not according to God. When you finally breathe your last breath, that's when it's finally that said and done. But I just think that that's just entering into what God wanted. Like this is the appetizer for what God really wants. Just in taste Him and enjoy the Lord for the time. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, He's the only one. He's the only one who can, I can say it, the secondary blessings are so enormous that we could get caught up in those and lose the focus of the one who gave them. You know, God wants to do amazing things. The joy that He wants you to experience and know tomorrow, today, when you go home, maybe after this sermon you can say, you know what, I am so inspired to go pray. I am so inspired to go worship the Lord. I am looking forward to some time closed in with God, and I'm going to go do it. And when you do, you're going to have a wellspring of joy that's like nothing you've ever known. And maybe the encouragement from the Word of God this morning is a wellspring for your week this week. And it's going to be about walking in the Spirit. Lord, please just open my eyes to anything that I'm being disobedient in. Something that I could step up in, in honor to you. Lord, I don't care what it is. I just want to love you today. Jesus, re-mature my life the next level that you've got to do it. And you'll find the joy of the Lord behind it. And it's so awesome. It's so amazing what God has planned for us in obedience to Him. So I'm going to finish with that. I want to give you guys the opportunity to worship the Lord this morning. 
to bring things before the Lord. You notice as I was sharing some of the things, the works of the flesh, maybe some of those are prevailing in our life. Maybe we have some contentions or maybe we have other things in our life that are heresies or whatever. I don't know. But you can say the such like and you're like, there's something missing. I listened to this sermon this morning and God has been touching on something in the secret of my mind. I was thinking about this while you were talking. I want you to take some time up here in front and spend some time with the Lord right now and give him that chance. So if the worship uh, team would come up and sing this song and um, just give that time. Think of it like.